Uh, we left off in Acts chapter 8 as we were following Philip in Samaria. Um, Persecution, how the Lord used Saul after listening to Stephen, blowing steam out of his ears. And great persecution arose under the hand of Saul. And uh, Philip was one of those who moved out. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, not for a wrong reason, probably for some very significant reasons. But Philip was one of those who moved out and crossed into Samaria. And he's crossing lines of prejudice that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. And uh, But certainly, as part of that young church, knows that Jesus told his disciples to wait until they were endued with power, that you can be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, where, where Philip was, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Philip is there, miracles are taking place, he's preaching, and uh, word of that gets to Jerusalem. And of course, they're stirred. So they send Peter and John to go up to Samaria to see if these things were so. And again, imagine uh, old John, one of Bo and Jerry's, one of the sons of thunders who wanted to smoke Samaria. Now he's coming up and finding brothers and sisters in Christ there. It's just a very interesting thing is taking place. And we're told there was a man there, Simon, a sorcerer, who was uh, did miracles, influenced the whole area. But then he saw what was happening under Philip's ministry, and it says he gave heed to that. He followed closely, and we get the impression that he was... Converted. Now, there's different opinions as we go into this evening, so you can, you're welcome to your own as we move into it. But now the apostles arrive there. And as they're looking, I'll pick up in verse 14. Uh, we, we finished there last week. It says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, because they wanted apostolic approval to see if this was really going on. So it was important for the apostles in Jerusalem to have a firsthand testimony that this was all genuine, who when they were come down, again, anywhere you go from Jerusalem is down, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. No doubt they were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the mystical body of Christ, but they weren't baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus yet. He wasn't fallen upon any of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Christostom said they had received the spirit of forgiveness, but not yet of signs. And it says then that they laid their hands on them, and they received... The Holy Ghost. Now, by the way, that isn't consistent all the way through. We're going to see it again in chapter 19. There are places when the apostles lay their hands on individuals and they receive the power, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's not always, there's no hard line, you know, the way this has to happen. When Peter is preaching at the house of Cornelius, and the Lord tarries, we'll be there in a few weeks. 
in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit interrupts his sermon and falls on the Gentiles while they're listening. Nobody's got hands on them. And it isn't just apostles. When Saul of Tarsus is converted, the Lord sends a man named Ananias, not an apostle, to go to him and pray for him. And his sight returns and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's healed and filled by a man named Ananias, just a member. So we see as we go through, there are times when they're listening, there are times when they're praying, there are times when they're laying on of hands and so forth. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, again, 54 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And remember again, it was A.W. Tozier that said, you know, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church today, over 90% of what we're doing would keep right on going and nobody would know the difference. He said if the Holy Spirit were removed from the church in the book of Acts, 95% of what they were doing would have come to a screeching halt and everybody would have known the difference. So here now the Holy Spirit falls on these believers in Samaria. They had been saved by the Spirit. Now they're filled, empowered with the Spirit. And when Simon saw, so there's a manifestation, no doubt probably whatever may have been the gift of tongues and so forth or prophecy. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Uh, Things have never changed. Saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, it doesn't go over well with Peter. Let's wait one verse before we jump in there. So typical among magicians of the day would be to pay other magicians to learn their trade and so forth. No doubt he's been indoctrinated in that world. Um, The question is going to be here, is he a young Christian who's just asking this mistakenly? Or some try to say, well, he was never really converted, though it says that he believed earlier, which is the same word as the other disciples, believing, which is the same word in John 3.16, that whomsoever believes won't perish but have everlasting life. You know, your old grammarist like Linsky said, there's no way around this. This guy believed, and that's what it clearly says if you dig into the language. Some want to say, well, he wasn't really, and Philip didn't have enough discernment to realize the guy wasn't a genuine convert. Well, he had enough of the Holy Ghost to heal and do signs and wonders and convert a whole town, but he didn't have enough to... I, I don't buy that. I think this guy now is seeing something, and he comes and he offers money. Look at people in the church today that are Christians that think that they should have more to say because of their success in the business world or some other world, which just does, you know, sometimes that can be a headache because it doesn't qualify them for leadership in the body of Christ. Um, Certainly we're all called to serve, but then there's someone who comes and thinks their money should be able to put them into a certain Position. This guy's asking for an apostolic role in the church, and he's willing to pay for it. The word simony comes from this, which means someone who tries to buy their way into the church or into a position in the church. 
So he sees that by these guys laying on their hands, people are being filled with the Holy Ghost or some manifestation of the gifts, no doubt. And then he says, give me also this exousia, this authority, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. He, you know, we're going to find out he was jealous these apostles and Philip are in his territory where he had huge sway over the population. Now all of that has been taken from him. And, and there are others now that are influence, influencing all of Samaria. Is he asking, give me this that I can have my influence back? Is he asking because he genuinely thinks it's a good thing? It doesn't matter. You can't buy it. And Peter's going to have something to say about that. Now, obviously, he hasn't read chapter 5, uh, where Ananias and Sapphira didn't tell the truth about money. You know, chapters 5, 6, and 8, there are money problems. Ananias and Sapphira tried to deceive and give the wrong impression about how much they were giving you to the church. Peter was involved in, in that as well. In uh, chapter 6, the Grecian widows were complaining because they thought the Hebrew uh, widows were getting favoritism. That had to be settled. That's how uh, Stephen and Philip got initiated into their ministries. And now in this chapter, it's money again, where this guy thinks he can buy his way in. And Peter's there, who had dealt with Ananias and Sapphira. So this guy obviously hasn't heard about that. And Peter then says to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Now is that the apostolic exercising of uh, the, the gifts that they were laying their hands on the people? We're, we're not, it's, it seems to be a little more specific than just this whole thing that's going on. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. He doesn't drop dead like Ananias or Sapphira. Peter now says, repent. Now it seems then there's hope, there's grace. Repent, therefore, notice of this, which identifies this particular thing that he wanted Authority to transmit the Holy Ghost. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So again, he's not just dropping dead, but Peter says, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. King James, the Greek word is also used for envy, his position had been lost. Um, you, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees angry because all men were going after Jesus. There's just something about in us that when we see somebody else getting the attention or the position, particularly if it was an area of influence where we used to have influence, that can really grate on us because of our carnal nature, obviously. He says, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. His position had been lessening, being taken away. And then answered Simon, and there's all kinds of traditions about 
position, the you know Arianism and things. We, with all of that's tradition, none of it's reality. It just says, then answered Simon, and said, pray ye to the Lord for me. Doesn't sound like an unbeliever to me. That none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And by the way, he's asking Peter, who's the one who just laid it on him. You know, he's not saying, who do you think you? Are? He's Peter lays it on him. There seems to be a measure of humility, and he looks at Peter, the one who's letting him have it, and asks Peter to pray for him that the Lord is curious, the Lord for me, pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. So there seems to be genuine concern. Um, Will we see Simon in heaven? Hopefully we'll know shortly. And they, this is Peter and John, when they had testified and preached the word, wonderfully, preaching the word, always a good place to start, preaching the word of the Lord, which is the Old Testament then, and the gospel, the things they had heard from Christ. They preached the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem. And look what it says. They preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans, who had never been changed by Judaism. There was always, you know, antagonism between the Jews and the Samaritans. And uh, now John, who wanted to burn up Samaria, you know, these lines are being crossed now through the love of Christ. And John and Peter returning to Jerusalem are stopping in many of the cities of Samaria and preaching the gospel, no doubt seeing many saved. Now, this is when John passes off the scene. We're going to hear, of course, that he wrote the book of Revelation. We're here here in his epistles. But in the book of Acts, John now fades away. We don't see any more of him uh, as we move through the book of Acts. And 26 kind of just seems to just switch gears. These go back to Jerusalem And it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, we're going to read down in verse 29 that the Holy Spirit tells him, Go run, join yourself to this guy. And obviously he understands this is an impression from the Holy Spirit. But there are some things that set that up that made it clearer. Here is Philip, who's called the evangelist after this, as a burden to see the lost one. He's in the middle of Samaria, and this incredible revival is taking place. So God doesn't just try to put in a prayer. You know, if you're, if you're in the middle of a revival, and incredible things are going on, and you just can't believe what's happening... And you get an impression on your heart from the Holy Spirit that says, leave here and go south somewhere. You're going to go, no, that can't be the Lord. The enemy's trying to get me out of here. He's trying to get me No, that's not the Lord. So to get Philip to move, not the angel, there's no definite article, it just says an angel. We don't know who it was again. Bruce, Harry, we're not sure. An angel sent by the Lord comes to him. And it doesn't does he appear? Does he, we're, we're not given a lot of details, just this angel comes of the Lord, and he spoke to Philip. That seems 
very remarkable to me, you know. Saying, arise. Notice this. Go toward the south. This is the big instruction. I can't even use my Google Maps, you know. Go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is in the desert. Leave here and go to this lonely road that goes to the desert. Are you kidding me? Now, and, and by the way, it's not the road that goes from Samaria to Gaza. It's the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is a 60-mile road which was in ruins and hardly ever used at this point in time. But this Ethiopian who he will encounter had been in Jerusalem. So for some reason, he is taking that particular old road from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And it's just so interesting to watch this. You know, God is orchestrating. We see there's no coincidences here. Angels in the New Testament, of course, remarkable. Uh, anybody here ever seen an angel? Okay, a couple of you guys. We'll have to talk. I saw one, too, when I was a kid. I saw one. Uh, anybody here ever seen anybody from the dark side? I don't want to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> I did too. I don't ever want to see that again. I could I could make the rest of the journey without one of those visits. Um, angels, Zechariah. You know the angel says, you know you're going to have a son. His name is John. Who I suppose angel comes to Mary, that which will be born of the you know of the of the Holy Spirit and so forth. Um, angels coming to Joseph saying now take the child you know, you're going to name him Jesus and so forth after the child is born an angel comes and says take him on down to Egypt get out of here at this point in time we see an angel with Jesus in Mark the temptation in the wilderness comes to strengthen him uh, at the end of that temptation uh, then we see angels again with Jesus uh, in Gethsemane come to strengthen him there and uh, that he can agonize and he continue. We see the angel's resurrection mourning there around the tomb with the women. Uh, we see angels in the first chapter of the book of Acts saying, you men of Galilee, what are you doing standing around here staring up in the sky? Get going. This same Jesus, he's coming back the same way. We see an angel in chapter 12 when Peter is there in prison and the angel has to come. And when he thinks it's a dream, the angel's got to slap him. Come on. Oy vey. He's got to slap Peter to get him going and get him out of there. You know, we hear of Jesus say that he could call down 12 legions, 72,000 angels if he wanted to. And, of course, uh, Hebrews tells us about an innumerable company of angels. How many are there? I don't know. But we find them orchestrating, doing things, working for the Lord. Now this particular angel comes to Philip. We're not given details. And just says, you need to go, arise, go towards the south. I want you to go towards that road, the old beat-up road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Now, uh, uh, the interesting part of the studies, that made a lot of sense, to leave a revival and go into the desert. And it's good study for us because we all have deserts in our lives. And the thing we have to realize about deserts, many of them are prescribed. Um, 
he tells him to go down. Now, look, the angel, heaven knows this, that Philip's going to leave a city and he's going to change a continent. He's going to leave a city and he's going to influence an entire continent. Simon the Cyrene, of course, had an effect in Africa. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers from Africa, just remarkable moving of God's spirit and so forth. And evidently this guy's going to have a major part in that. And the angel in heaven is directing to get Philip, the evangelist, and he's going to cross another boundary. He had crossed prejudice boundaries to get to the Samaritans. Now he's going to cross another one to get to this African man. And he says, you go down towards the south where there is this desert road. There's no plan B. There's just go. No information. And he arose. We got nothing to lose when an angel appears to you. He arose and he went. And behold, consider this, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So there's this man now of Ethiopia. We're told clearly here that he is a eunuch. Um, not uncommon in royalty to have servants castrated so they would never try to take the throne or the lineage or so forth. Uh, this man is of great authority. He's the secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia. He oversees all of the wealth. There's a queen there at this point in time. Candake is the, Candace here, is, is the description of her position. Like Pharaoh wasn't the Pharaoh's name in Egypt. That was his position. Pharaoh, Candace is the position of the queen in Ethiopia. And he is her secretary of treasury. He oversees all of the riches of Ethiopia. And he is coming back from Jerusalem. And we're not sure. Look, he has, we're going to find out a copy he's reading of Isaiah. We know by the quotation he's reading the Septuagint translation, which is a Greek translation done in Alexandria about 200-some years before Christ. So we don't know, did he go to Jerusalem and buy this copy there? Most of the copies made in Jerusalem were made in Hebrew, as they are today. He may have acquired his own copy in Alexandria. He's from Africa. In incredibly expensive, handwritten, no printing presses. He has this copy of this. When he goes to Jerusalem, he's not recognized by the Jews. There was one category of people that came. They, could, they just called them god fearers and there's another group they call them the proselytes of the gate but because this man has been mutilated he's castrated he probably can't even be a proselyte of the gate he can only be what they call a god fearer which means he's only allowed in the court of the gentiles and he can't go into the court of israel or the court of women and yet he's made his journey he's wealthy he has everything this world has to offer. He works in royalty, all of that, and he's empty. 
And he makes a journey that was 40 to 60 days journey. He didn't get on an El Al flight. This is a long journey to go to Jerusalem, and he's leaving Jerusalem now. He's taking a lonely road. We don't know if he's... He's certainly not alone. He has an entourage with him. He's going to call Philip into up into his chariot, which means it's not a regular chariot. Ben-Hur, let's go for have a race chariot. This is a stretch limo. This is a stretch chariot. No, he's got a driver. He's got tinted windows, no doubt. And he's reading because it's going to tell us Philip hears it. And the, the custom in that day was to read out loud, even amongst the Jews sometimes. So he's reading the book of Isaiah out loud. So you can imagine Philip now. He's going down. All right, where am I going? I leave a revival. I'm wandering around here in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden he kind of hears some rumbling. And he looks up and he sees this guy. And he hears him reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Now, Philip would know that because he was a Hellenist. And he could understand the Greek that the guy was reading. The guy's reading out loud in Greek. So Philip was the perfect guy to be on this mission. Philip just didn't realize he was the perfect guy to be on the mission. So it says he is this great man, works for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's in charge of all her treasures, the secretary of treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Still empty, though. He's returning, sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip. Now, there could have been no then if he hadn't listened to the angel in the first place and made this journey that didn't seem logical to him. Sometimes faith steps beyond our comfort zone. But now there's a then. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near. And join thyself to this chariot. God's calling is a progressive revelation. My pastor Chuck Smith used to say, I would ask, he said, look, just God's not going to give you the two-year plan and the five-year plan and the ten-year plan. Um, the, the Lord is, you know, the shepherd is never dependent on the IQ of the sheep. If you're willing to follow, the ball's in his court. He'll lead. And God's calling is a progressive revelation. If you will give every day to Jesus genuinely, you will find yourself, as time goes by, in the middle of your calling. And uh, Philip here has to sidestep logic in this situation to say, all right. And now he feels like the Holy Spirit saying, well, go on up there and get with that guy. Run up there to the, the chariot and get near to him. And Philip ran there to him and now he hears the guy's reading out loud he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and it's Isaiah 53 this is a setup if you don't realize that by now in the story this is a setup and and it's you know Philip says to him look in the end of verse 30 do you understand what you're reading? Are you kidding me? Do you know what you're reading here? And the guy's going to say, how can I understand? I got nobody to teach me. Would you come up here and help me? This is now, you know, the Lord's got you in a situation where, where somebody's going to get saved. Now, you know why he took you away from a revival to speak to one person. 
And look, this, it, this is so important. And this, this scripture, you know, these things are, are by design to come before our hearts. Because most of us are going to get to speak to one person. We may not end up in a revival where there are multitudes. And your stewardship, you know, God may move you greatly to get you face to face with an individual. When we get to heaven, most of the conversions, I guarantee you, are going to be one-on-one conversions. Where one person loved another person and shared the gospel of Christ with them. You know, 1860s, 70s, 70s, a man in Chicago, Mr. Kimball, has a burden for one of the kids in his Sunday school class. The kid worked at a shoe store. So Mr. Kimball just he can't get it off his heart. The Holy Spirit speaks. He goes to the shoe store and he witnesses to the kid. The kid knows him from Sunday school. And he leads the kid to Christ. That little boy's name was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody then grows up because Mr. Kimball was faithful. He, he affects two continents, Europe and the United States. Britain was moved by Moody. And Moody, when he was preaching through Europe, particularly England, F.B. Meyer came and listened to Moody and was so deeply touched because he heard the stories of how one of his Sunday school teachers determined, I'm not going to stop until I lead every single kid in my Sunday school class to Jesus. Now, D.L. Moody, when he started in Chicago, he had a kid's ministry. He would go pick up all these street kids from all over the city in Chicago and had a ministry. And they were all so crazy. They would scream and carry on. And so he would bring musicians. And then when a musician sung a song, they kind of get still and listen. And then he got to say a few things to them before they all went crazy again. And the ministry kept going and going. And then some of the street kids, which were the bullies, fell in love with them. And then they would straighten out the other kids and the ministry... It became so famous that Abraham Lincoln traveled to Chicago to see D.L. Moody's ministry with the children. So when Moody is in England, F.B. Meyer hears one of these stories and he's so touched by it, it starts to move, change his ministry. And he was able to lead a young boy named Wilbur Chapman to the Lord. And Wilbur Chapman became one of the most famous evangelists of his era and and led multitudes to Christ. And one of Wilbur Chaplin's helper was a little boy named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday then emulated what he learned from Wilbur Chaplin and preached like him and touched, of course, the United States, thousands. And a group of people in North Carolina that had heard Billy Sunday preached were so touched that in their community they decided they want to have a revival. So they bring in a man called Mordecai Ham to preach in a small Methodist church for a number of nights, or maybe it was Presbyterian. But as he's doing that, this other, this 16-year-old kid comes and sits in the back and listens, didn't like it, got mad, came back, was drawn back, and finally this 16 lanky 16-year-old kid walks forward, Billy Graham, and gives his life to Jesus Christ who changed the moral climate to a degree of the entire world. 
and led more people to Christ than anyone. Now, this started with one guy who felt like he was supposed to witness to a kid who had no idea where that seed was going to go and what was going to happen. Philip leaves a revival in Samaria, and now this Holy Spirit says, go to this one guy, one guy, who's going to go back to Ethiopia and affect a continent for Jesus Christ. Go talk to this one guy. How many times has the Holy Spirit, listen, if you're, if you're wondering, is this the Holy Spirit telling me to witness to this person? You, you know, there's some deductions you can come to easily. It ain't Satan telling you to go to visit somebody, right? Am I right? Okay, the devil ain't telling you to go witness to somebody. And it ain't your flesh, because our flesh is usually uncomfortable. You go witness this person. I don't know. It's not the Lord. I don't know who's telling me to do it. No, no. When you have an impression on your heart to witness to someone, do it. Because you don't know where that line is going to go and what the repercussions are going to be. All you need to do is go to bed at night and say, Lord, we did okay today. Huh? He'll say, what do you mean, we? You know, but, you know, <laughs> I did this one thing you told me to do today, Lord. That was wonderful. The person, you know, got saved and prayed. This is, or, or they were really opened or they really got mad at me, so they must be under conviction. Whatever the story might be. But if, look, if everybody in our church, and I don't know how many thousand are coming now. It's, it's gone down since COVID. We're kind of coming back. It's wonderful to see. But if everybody led one person, say there's 3,000, regular attendance again, probably more than that. But say everybody leads one person to Christ in a year. That's 6,000 in a year. That's 12,000 in two years. That's 24,000 in three years. That's 48,000. You know, you just figure. This is not an Amway deal. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying <laughs> you, you have no idea just by being obedient to the Holy Spirit, who, who is the major force in the book of Acts, what witnessing to one person can bring about. Okay? And it's being placed in front of us here with this guy who was faithful to wait on tables and take care of widows and how his ministry grew from there to the point where he was doing miracles and now he's being sent the spirit said go join yourself to this guy Philip ran when the spirit says go it's wonderful Philip runs he doesn't walk he doesn't go he walks he runs and he wasn't running now here's the thing when we when he gets there he's not running to the man, he's running to the text. If he waited longer, the guy might have been in Isaiah 54. But he ran and he runs to the text because when he gets there, the guy's reading out loud Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. That's what he ran to. The timing is unimaginable here. So Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he says to the guy, you have any idea? Are you kidding me what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I? Except some man should guide me. There's a, you know, there's humility there. This is the secretary treasurer of Ethiopia. 
And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So this is a stretch limo, you know, this is a big chariot. He said, come on up here and sit with me. And the place of the scripture which he read was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, he, and like a lamb is done before his, these are all masculine, singular, shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Now that's not, that's not the cross because seven times we have the record on the cross, the things that he said. This is speaking about his passion. This is speaking about when he's beaten beyond human recognition. This is being when he's spit upon and he's scourged and the crown of thorns is placed upon his head and so forth. Isaiah is speaking about that. It says, he was led as a King James lamb, a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearer is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The King James says he was cut off out of the, the land of the living. He was cut off. Now, just this remarkable picture, picture here, um, through his passion, as a lamb before his shears is dumb, the idea is not speaking. The remarkable thing about that is that the Romans, when they laid the scourge on you, it was so painful, it would rip off flesh. Josephus talks about people that bleed out and are killed just by the scourging. And the harder they would lay it on, it would take off people's skin down to their bones, sometimes to their organs. And what they would do is they would use that to extract information. So if they had someone who was involved in some type of a crime, and the Romans wouldn't put up with that, as they scourged that person, if that person gave them the names of the other people involved in the crime, they would lighten up on the lash. If they wouldn't give any names, it was laid on harder and harder Jesus didn't give our name up to anybody. We were the guilty ones. In fact, when they bring him back to Pilate, that's why Pilate says, Ecce homo, behold the man. They must have said he didn't scream. He didn't say nothing. He didn't give us nothing. You know? and, and Pilate is completely amazed. And here, Isaiah had prophesied that. He opened not his mouth. And he, he was cut off out of the land of the living. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray, I beg of you, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Isn't that amazing? You're, you, you, know, you want to witness to somebody and they come to you and they're reading Isaiah 53 and say, I beg you, please tell me what this means. You think, now this is an open door. That if that happens, don't say, that, Lord, is this you telling me to witness to the person? Don't do that. It's ridiculous here. He, he begs him, I pray you, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Notice this, of himself or of some other man. Interesting thing, at this time in Judaism, there's no concept that Isaiah 53 is speaking of the nation of Israel as the servant of Jehovah. Now, the, the Orthodox Jews will try to say that today, that Isaiah 53 is speaking of the nation. Here in the first century, Philip has no conception of that. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, 
And the Ethiopian, as he's reading it, realizes it's talking about an individual. Who? What person? Who is this? His mouth. He was quiet before his ears. Who is this talking about? And then it says, then Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture. Great place to start. And he preached, evangelized, he preached the gospel unto him in regards to Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a to certain water. And the eunuch said, see, now the, the, you'll notice here is, is in italics, the eunuch just said, see, water. I mean, this is a day full of coincidences, you know. First, this is happening. Then this guy's wandering around in the desert. Can you help me understand what, what I'm reading? And then he gets up here, and, and I find out the truth about the Messiah. And he must have said, you know, repent, be baptized, whatever. And then the, de- the guy says, we're in the desert. Look, here's water. You know, just one thing after another is rolling out of here. Uh, what a remarkable picture. He says, look, water. And then he asked the question, what doth hinder me to be baptized? You see, Judaism had no answers for him. You had to be, you had to be qualified to go in the, the mitzvah, to, 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 go, to be baptized. You had to be, you know, you couldn't be a, a proselyte of the gate. You couldn't be a fearer of God. He's saying, is there anything now that's forbidding me to be baptized in what you're speaking to me about? Is the idea, he's saying, am I qualified? Is there anything, what doth hinder me to be baptized? There's water right here. And Philip said, if you believe, here's a qualification. If you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. From Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of the Lord. So no doubt he believes that Christ died for him. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. Philip said, all right, put the brakes on. And they, the two of them, now notice, went down. Doesn't say anything about the bank or the edge. They go into the water. You know, there's a picture here of immersion, no doubt. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, so early picture of baptism in the Bible, it's not sprinkling water on somebody's head. It's not, they, they go down and the guy gets dunked. He gets put under. And Philip's talking to him about, you know, coming up the newness of life, the picture, no doubt, of the death of Christ and resurrection and so forth. And, and he baptizes this man who was riding an hour earlier saying, what a bummer, I traveled, you know, 50 days to get to Jerusalem. They don't let me in. Nobody explains anything to me. I, mean, I know when I read this, something's going on in my heart. And then he runs into the guy in the desert that has the answers to all of this. And it says, it says, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. Now look what it says. But he went on his way rejoicing. What a day. <laughs> what 
what a day. This guy's never had a day like this before. Starts out bummed. He's got money. He's got everything. He's, and he's empty. He's nothing that makes any difference. Driving home from Jerusalem, taking the long road. I just take the long way around the barn here. I'm tired. Just I, I'm thinking, you know, and he's and somebody's driving for him because he's reading out loud. He's holding the scroll open. He's reading Isaiah. And he's in, he's in Isaiah chapter 53. And, and here's some stranger walking around in the desert comes up and says, man, do you know what you're reading? Are you kidding me? And he said, how am I supposed to know unless somebody tells me? He said, why don't you come up here and tell me? And Philip comes up into the chariot with him and starts to give him a lesson out of Isaiah 53 of the love of God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And as he listens to it, he's converted. He comes to faith. And, and as he's listening to him, he says, you know, he, the baptism was probably some part of the conversation. He sees water and he says, look, here's water here in the middle of the desert. Is this just another coincidence? Is there anything that forbids me from being baptized? The Jews won't baptize me. I can't go in their midst, but, you know, I can't be dunked there. Is there anything? And he says, is there anything that forbids you? Do you believe what I've told you? I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. He says, that's that's baptismal class. You passed, you know, and they go down. So two things you need. You need faith and water, you know, takes them down, dunks them. When they come up out of the water, it says Philip is caught away by the Holy Spirit. I mean, does it, say, it doesn't say did the, 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 the eunuch see him go and gone and then he just leaves rejoicing. What a day. Nobody's going to believe me if I tell them, you know. And was that, was that an angel or was that a man? Whoever it was, he just flew away after he talked to me, you know, baptized me. And, uh, you know, Philip's still wet as he takes off, as he leaves some spray as he goes. We don't know. You know, this is where, in the Jesus movement, when I got saved in 1972, they used to tell the story about there was always this hitchhiker. And people would stop and pick up the hitchhiker and get in the back seat and he'd start witnessing and then he would finally say, and you need to understand, Jesus is coming soon. And the person would look in the rearview mirror, and he was gone. There was a disappearing hitchhiker. It was part of my culture. Don't laugh. <laughs> we were serious about it. Well, this is where the story began here. The Ethiopian eunuch started this story. I got, he got back to Ethiopia. I'm telling you. You know, this I picked him up in the middle of the desert, and he started witnessing to me. He told me Jesus was coming. You know, we went down, got baptized. We came, and I looked. He was gone. This, the, this is the disappearing hitchhiker. This is right here. Interesting, it says that Philip was caught away harpazo. The Latin again, raptus, to be raptured, to be caught away. Um, it's the same word Paul uses when he says that you and I will be caught up, harpazo, to meet the Lord in the air. Th this kind of gives you an idea what that will be like. Uh, he is caught up. And now it says in the next verse, and he's found at Azotus. Does that mean there was a search party? You know, he, he disappeared. We better look. No, none of that. It says, but Philip was found at Azotus. That's 20 miles north of where he was. And nobody traveled that fast in those days, you know. So he's, he's lifted up. He's taken up into the heaven like Ezekiel. And he's dropped off at Azotus, it tells us there. And it says, passing through, then the territory, he preached in all of the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, you see, this is, 
he doesn't have to be told. First of all, he's an evangelist. He's got the burden on his heart. He sees a revival. Then an angel tells him, this is where you go. When he gets down there, the Holy Spirit says, speak, you know, talk to this guy. The guy gets saved after he preaches to that guy. Then he gets caught up into the air by the Holy Spirit and moved 20 miles away. And then he has no hesitancy to preach in all the villages. He goes up to Caesarea, you know, you light an evangelist up. This one's lit up. So it says he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, which was 60 miles approximately from where he was. And he is there then 20 years later. We find him there. Um, Luke, by by that time, is traveling with Paul. And it says the next day we, Luke writing includes himself at this point, we that were of Paul's company departed, and we came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, just in case so there's no confusion. And we abode with him. In fact, two verses later say they stayed there many days. The same man had four daughters, all virgins. That's still an accomplishment. He had four daughters, all virgins, which did prophesy. So you can imagine now Saul of Tarsus coming into the house of Philip 20-some years, 21 years, whatever it is. He comes in, and and Philip is looking at the guy that drove him out of Jerusalem, was you know giving consent to the stoning of Stephen, no doubt a dear friend. And then a severe persecution begins in Jerusalem to the point where he drives them out of Jerusalem, Saul of Tarsus. And now 20-some years later, here is Saul of Tarsus at the house of Philip. I wonder if Philip's saying to his girls, yeah, this is the one that I told you about, you know. I mean, did he say, you are such a pain he said, I, you, we, he said, you know, you almost made us backslide. We were coming up with our own plans to deal with you, buddy. You know, just imagine what those conversations were like 20 years later when Saul is sitting with Philip, with his four daughters who could prophesy. They're all there. Uh, what a remarkable, remarkable picture. What a remarkable time. Next week, if the Lord tarries, we'll look at the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And then Cornelius, you know, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, drawn back to the Lord in these pictures here. Um, Major lesson tonight, look, one person, if the Lord tells you, witness to this person. If we would just all be obedient and get one person a year. And you don't know if that person is going to then be a D.L. Moody, who's going to speak to an F.B. Meyer, who's going to speak to a Wilbur Chapman, who's going to speak to a Billy Sunday, who's going to inspire a Mordecai Ham to preach unto a Billy Graham teenager kid who's going to change the world. It all starts with the one person who says, all right, Lord, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing my heart. I'm going to go. This kid, I like him, he's in Sunday school, but he's lost, I know it, I watch him, I'm going to go get him. You got those people in your life? Somebody in your life you love, you know they're not saved. One person. I got some. I got some. Most of the ones that are left think I'm a lunatic. 
big part of the family got saved. You know, you get saved in your early years, you get, get a chance to lead a lot of the Lord. There's a few still hanging out there wondering what, what it's all about, Alfie. So you can uh, get to those people. Get to them. If you got one in your life, start to pray for them tonight. You can close your eyes and see their face. God gives us this remarkable library of pictures in our head that has nothing to do with eyeballs, and they're registered there. You close your eyes, get on your knees, and start to pray for that individual. And just ask the Lord, you know, to, to give you the open door, because who knows? We always think of things in these grandeur, this huge scope. This is one person, this Ethiopian eunuch. And his influence in Ethiopia must have been incredible. Uh, somebody gave me, and I have it in my office, a codis. It's in an ancient Ethiopic dialect called Ge'ez that they still teach to the children. A friend of mine years ago had been in at Aksum in Ethiopia, and he talked to the prime minister and his son and told them how that a gift would come from Ethiopia during the millennium, and that might be, you know, they believe, we don't know, they, they believe that in Aksum there, the Ark of the Covenants and the church there. And... Uh, the, this prime minister's son was so in touched with their time together that he gave him two codices, um, and bypassing the Department of Antiquities. And my friend brought them home, and he called me on the phone. He said, yeah, he gave me these two things. You want one of them? I said, yeah, I guess. So he sends me in the mail this codice. It's a 1,000 years old, and it's all handwritten on vellum. And uh, you can see places where the pages were torn, where they're stitched up, they're leather. You can smell fire on some of them. And it's the and, and I know what it was. I couldn't read it. You know, I just uh, so I get it was neat. It was a neat old book. Uh, until one night, a Jewish couple in the church said, "This guy's been." They were mes- go to a Messianic fellowship too. This guy was sitting there, and uh, we start talking to him, and he's an Ethiopian born-again Jew who immigrated back to Israel who served in the military there and, and we were talking and his Bible looked just like that codice you showed us and we say, he said yes get ease we learned it from the time we we're little so they brought him to the church I looked at his Bible I said I think I and so he comes up to my office with me and he starts he said this is the entire book of Psalms from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm the whole book of Psalms here handwritten uh a thousand years ago in Ethiopia, in the Christian library where this came from, the book of Psalms was there. Maybe I'll get to say thank you to this eunuch when I see him in glory. Karen University said, this is a couple hundred years old. You should wear latex gloves. I said, it's been around for hundreds of years. I don't wear latex gloves. I, you know, just... And then uh, Craig Evans, when he was here, it was a manuscript. He, he, I said, I got this old thing. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He kind of didn't pay attention to me. I went and got it, brought it out. He went, he said, that's, it's over 800 years. It's probably 1,000 years old, you know. So I didn't bring it out because if I had a lady here, it would have disappeared tonight <laughs> by somebody who still needs to get saved, no doubt. <laughs> I'll bring it out. One, 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 I know one of our SWAT guys is going to be here. I'll bring it out laying on the stage, and you can look at it, but don't mess with it. Uh, but I look at that thing, and I think, this is Ethiopia, a thousand years after this incident in this chapter, and a Christian library is there. 
and a strong believing church. Witness one person. Get to the one. Get to the one. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We'll end with a song, but let's do this. Let's, uh, I'm going to lead you in prayer. I want each one of you to think while we're praying about a person and see if the Holy Spirit is putting that person on your heart, say, saying, I want you to get to this one. Let's pray. Father, I know you've overheard. And we look into these things. They're wonderful, Lord. The pictures, Lord, tell a thousand stories. The images, Lord, the whole scene, the coincidences, Lord. We know that's not a kosher word, but all that's involved in this and all the intricacies and the repercussions that are immeasurable. And, Lord, the way you do things, heaven's aware, angels are aware, the Holy Spirit is moving, all of these things. And, Lord, here we are 2,000 years later, Lord. Because people had been faithful then. And Lord, now the baton is ours and we want to run this last lap, Lord, with all of our might. So each one of us here in this room, Lord, if there's someone on our heart now, someone you've maybe been poking at us about an individual and we've been slow to move or slow to respond. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be fruit from this study, Lord. 30, 60, 100 fold, Lord, that your word would bear fruit. Peter tells us we're not we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed of the word of God. Lord, grant that to us. Let us share your love and the gospel of Christ with these individuals in our lives, no matter how far gone or hostile they seem, even like a Saul of Tarsus. If there's an open door, if there's a conversation that can be had, if there are tears, Lord, it can be shed over someone who's going to hell, Lord, that we know. Grant to us, Lord, bent knees, broken hearts, wet eyes, Lord. Help us to remember that one person saved is an eternity changed. And, Lord, just like Philip, Lord, we need you to do it. We need your angels around us. We need your Holy Spirit to prompt us. We need you to direct and to steer. And, Lord, we believe you'll do that. We believe you give us this record, Lord, to take to our own lives and to our own hearts and to motivate us in the day that we live in. So, Lord, do that, Lord, not because of us, but in spite of us. And, Lord, all of the glory, Lord, we know is yours. We pray in your name. Amen.